you want to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, this morning we finish the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and we finish with uh, verses 24 through 29. So I'll read them. You can follow along with me. Matthew 7, verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts upon them will be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and slammed against that house. And yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rains fell, the floods came, winds blew, slammed against the house, and it fell, and great was his fall. When Jesus had finished these words, the crowd were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. All of us have a problem, a problem. We find ourselves not listening. We don't listen many times. Husbands, you've heard this phrase from your wife. You never listen to me. Have you heard that? You're never listening to me. You didn't listen to me. Kids say to their parents, as the parents try to instruct them, they say, we know, we know. You don't know. That's why I'm telling you what I'm telling you. Politicians don't listen. That's obvious by what's going on in Congress. The only time they listen is when we threaten to throw them out of office. Workers don't listen to bosses, and congregations don't listen to their pastor. But it's not just necessarily hearing the words. It's what? What Jesus says. Not only hearing, but what? Acting. Responding to them. How often have you done this? And I won't ask for hands because all hands would go up. As someone is talking to you, they're going on and on. You're not listening. What are you doing? You're thinking how you are going to respond to whatever they said, but you don't know what they said because you weren't listening. You were thinking about what you were going to say. Is that not true? Well, don't raise your hand. Yes, I am guilty and so are you. We don't listen. The eminent philosopher in 1964, Paul Simon, wrote these words. In the naked light I saw 10,000 people, maybe more, People talking without speaking. People hearing without listening. People writing songs that voices never shared. And then a little later, people bowed and prayed to the neon God they made. Have you seen that? People bowing and praying to this device, the neon God we've made. And I can talk to it and say things to it, and it will respond to me. And I say, yes, I'll turn this direction. I'll go, people back. This guy was a prophet. (laughs) 
is not good. It's not good. But even worse is when God speaks to us and we're not listening. Jesus concludes his Sermon on the Mount and he concludes with this very powerful parable about two men building a house. Let me ask you a question. Did you ever do something where you were told not to do it, but you went ahead and did it anyway? Yes, yeah, we had done that. Now, when I was in grade school, my mother told me, I don't know, what is it with little boys and matches? We love to play. Did you ever notice little boys love to play with matches? My mother told me over and over again, Neil, I don't want you to play with matches. You're going to set yourself on fire or something else. So what did I do? I didn't listen. Down the block, there was an empty lot we used to play in. Two houses on both sides. Neil was playing with that. I set the whole lot on fire and almost burned down the two houses. If it hadn't been the fire department, Neil learned not to play with matches. Do you remember the story about Samuel? Samuel was a young boy, probably maybe preteen, and he was serving in the temple with Eli. This goes all the way back to the first book of Samuel. So he's sleeping one night, and all of a sudden he hears a voice, Samuel, Samuel. So he gets up. He goes over to Eli, and he says, what? What's your problem? He says, I didn't say anything. Go back to bed. That happens three times. And the third time, Eli finally gets it. And he's, uh, the next time this happens, Samuel, when you hear that voice, you say these words. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Remember that? Remember the story? And then the Lord spoke to him. How important it is for us to have that same phrase on our lips. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening, which means not just hearing the words, but responding to it. Why should we do that? Well, Jesus tells us in this passage. Let's take a look. So we have a series of twos. Two people, two types of people, two types of results, two applications. That'll be our format as we look at this passage. Let's take a look. First, two types of people, verse 24 and 26. Verse 24, let's read. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. So the first type of person we see is those who hear Jesus' words and act upon them. Those who hear Jesus' words and act upon them. Now, to kind of get a picture of really what's happening here, I think Luke's account gives us a little bit more information. Luke 6, let me just read it. Luke 6, the parallel passage. Luke 6, 47 says, Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them, I will show you whom he's like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood occurred, the torrent burst against it, and the house could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who heard and has not acted accordingly is a man who built his house on the ground without any foundation. And the torrent burst against it and immediately it collapsed, and the ruin of that house was great. Your attention, please, what are we saying? 
It's not that just the, there was the sand and there was man, well, a man who built his house in the sand. And then the, there's a man who built his house on the rock. What did he say? He dug deep to the rock. He bypassed the sand and he dug down till he got to the bedrock. And that's where he built his house. Now, here in California, what do we do? <laughs> we just lay a form, put some pipes in it. There's a slab. We build a slab. We don't build on foundation. Now, back east, back in New Jersey, they have to dig a cellar. Now, why don't we dig cellars here in California? Well, simply because the ground doesn't freeze and the pipes, if we had, you know, did it that way, uh, and, the, and the ground froze, the pipes would freeze. So we have to build foundations. That's kind of like what Jesus is talking about. Now, if we take the analogy further, it looks like uh, a lot of people in California are not very wise, because they're, but that's another story. We won't go with, We won't even go there, but there is a parallel there somewhere. Now, all of us are building houses. We're building our life, Right? Now, I don't know of anybody, Christian or non-Christian, who's building their life that wants their life to be a disaster. Do you know anybody like that? No, we want, we want our family to grow and prosper. We want to have that abundant life. We want to have a meaningful, purposeful life, and we want our family to grow and prosper. Isn't that true? That's what we want. Now, why does Jesus use this analogy of two men building a house? Well... Essentially what he's saying, essentially what he's saying is truth is not enough just to hear truth. Okay? It's not enough just to hear truth. You've got to act upon it. Because if it's true, right? If it's true, you should act upon it. And if it's true and you don't act upon it, what does that mean? Well, I'll tell you what it means. It tells you, I'll tell you what it means. You're living in unreality because you're ignoring something that's true. So you're living in, you're not living in reality. And you're heading for a disaster. So Jesus gives this example here. Many of us who are Christians have had that experience, amen? At one time in your life, you came to the place where you heard the truth, which is the gospel. Remember? For God so loved the world that he gave. He sent his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but what? Have eternal life. You heard it. You heard. You knew that God sent his son to die for you. And the reason he died is because you were a sinner and you needed forgiveness. And the only way you can find forgiveness is through the blood of Jesus Christ, through his death and resurrection. And you really believed that. You did. And guess what? You're here. You're a Christian. And it changed your life. Because you believe the truth, but you didn't just hear the words. You did what? You responded to it. You acted upon it. Now, do you ever wonder why some Christians kind of drift away? You know, you see them in church for a while, and then maybe a period, two, three years, and then they kind of drift away. I wonder what happened to to Sam, or what happened to so-and-so. You ever wonder why that was happening? Let me tell you why. All of us as Christians started out by hearing the word and what? Acting upon it. We said yes. However, for one reason or another, as years went by, 
we came to another word, not only just about being saved, but perhaps, I'll use this example because we're talking about the Sermon on the Mount, perhaps about forgiving someone who uh, has hurt you. And you came upon it and you said, no, I can't do that. You said, I can't do that, but actually it's, I won't do that. Or perhaps you came to another passage where it talked about giving. You know, we have a very giving church here, but you, you said, no, I, I won't do that. I can't do that. Or perhaps looking at this passage, talking about one of the things Jesus talks about is whoever looks on a woman to lust in his heart has already committed adultery. You came to that passage and you just won't give up that late night time in front of your computer. You say, no, I won't do that. Or many other things. So you get the picture? If the word of God came to you, the truth came to you, and you said, no. You kind of circled the wagons. You took a fortress mentality, and you, I, I can go this far, but I won't go that far. I won't get radical. <laughs> I won't do it. You know what you're doing when you do that? You're building a room addition on the sand. <laughs> you're building a room addition on the sand. Now, what happens when you do that? Well, it says in Romans 1, the just, that is, the people who are saved, shall live by faith. Now, what is faith? Faith is saying yes to God's word and then seeing him work it out. That's faith, okay? I, I, don't, I just see your word. I'm going to believe your word. And then you trust him for the outworking. So what happens in the Christian life is you see God's word and you say yes. And then marvelously he works this wonderful thing. And you sense the presence of the living God working in your life. <laughs> and you say, man... That's incredible what Jesus did. Now, when you stop doing that, when you say, no, I won't do this, I won't do that, I won't do that, you stop the flow of Jesus walking in your life, and pretty soon it's like, oh, going to hear Pastor Neil on Sunday morning, whatever. That's it. But that's not the Christian life. The Christian life is walking by faith. And when his word speaks to you, you say, with Samuel, speak, Lord, because your servant is listening. That brings vital life to your life. So here, the first man, he hears his words, and he says, yes, Lord. He's building his house on the rock. Okay. Second type of person those who hear Jesus' words and do not act upon them. Verse 26. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man as opposed to a wise man who built his house on the sand. Using this analogy, this this fellow isn't in a hurry. (laughs) He's in a hurry. He wants to get the house built real quick. Instructions? We don't need no stinking instructions. I know how to do this. I know how to live my life. 
We won't ask for a show of hands of men who do that. <laughs> he doesn't need instructions. Now, how many times have you turned on the TV and we've seen in some third world country, what? Some building collapses on a whole bunch of people and the reason it collapses, why? Because the builders did not pay attention to the instructions, the specific, the laws that said, no, 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 you shouldn't do it this way, you got to do it that way. We see that all the time, don't we? Mexico, Indonesia, China. People don't pay attention to the specs. A couple years ago, they had a huge hurricane go through southern Florida just south of Homestead Air Force Base. You remember that hurricane? It blew all these houses down. But I remember watching TV. Every once in a while, there'd be a house sitting in the middle of a whole bunch of rubble. (laughs) That house stood. But when they talked to the, the owners of the house, they found out that the houses that were blown down, they used mostly just minimum two by four lumber on all the struts in the house. The houses that stood used two by sixes and two by eights built to withstand the floods, the winds. Without the specs. A few years ago, they had to tear down Liso Pier. Do you remember? They had a lovely fishing pier on Liso Beach. You remember that? I used to go out there all the time. It was a nice pier. But then one year we had, well, what happened? The El Nino storms came, big waves, real big waves. Suddenly, after the storm was ended, there was cracks all up and down, a lot of the pilings on the Liso Pier. And they said, out it came, they had to tear the pier down. Then they tried to figure out, the engineers tried to figure out why that pier, which had only been built, I think, in the early 70s, I wasn't here then, I think it was late 60s, early 70s, why that pier that had been built to last many, many more years suddenly cracked and they had to tear it down because it was dangerous of falling down. You know what they found out? The contractor who built it didn't follow the specs on the type of concrete and he used substandard concrete and so down it came. That's what Jesus is saying here. Now, one would wonder how folks like these, as described in verse 26, get to that place. Well, let me give you a couple of thoughts. First of all, they're not thinking about the future. They're not thinking about the future. They're all caught up in the passion of the moment. Whatever they're doing, you know, whatever they're excited about, they're all caught up and they know, I don't know about it. It says of Moses that he, he chose to suffer with the people of God rather than enjoying the passing pleasures of sin. So they're all caught up in the passion of the moment. They haven't got any time. I mean, after all, the houses look the same, right? One over here, one over here. When they're all finished, they... Got the landscaping, it looks pretty good. Life looks pretty good. 
The second reason, I think, is because they have doubts about the reality of spiritual life. I remember my brother, a couple of years before he passed away, said to me, I was, I was back in, um, in New Jersey um, for a family event. And my brother and I were walking across the parking lot as we were going to uh, a reception of some sort. And he said, Neil, your cousin Ronnie told me, and that Ronnie and my cousin Fred were good friends. Ronnie and Fred were good friends. He says, Ronnie tells me that you believe that Jesus Christ is coming back to the earth. Do you really believe that? I mean, he looked at me like, you re- come on, Neil. I mean, this is my brother. I've known him since, you know, we're only 18 months apart. He says, you really believe? Come on, Neil. Come on. Let me read you a passage. This is 1 Corinthians 2.14. But the natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he can't understand them because they're spiritually appraised. The reason some people don't listen is because they think, you do what? You get up early Sunday morning and do what? You, you give how much to missions? What? Are you kidding? You've got to be crazy. My, friend, my brother Fred was like that until he got cancer, terminal cancer. Then things began to change. We'll talk about that in a minute. They don't, they don't see it. Why? Because they're a natural man. They're, they're not in a place where they can understand the spiritual. Now, I tried to read the Bible as an unsaved man years before I got saved. And I got into the middle of Leviticus and I said, oh, forget this. Because I started at the beginning of the book. That's how you read the Bible, right? You start at Genesis and you read. No, that's not how you read. Leviticus just completely threw me. I took the Bible and said, forget this. Why? It was foolishness to me. The real reason is, this gets to the heart of the issue, how do you get to really being not a, a natural man, but a spiritual man? Well, they haven't come to the crisis of their life, in quotes. They haven't come to the crisis in their life. They, some people call it foxhole conversions. Have you heard about that? You know, when you're in a foxhole and people are shooting at you, trying to kill you, life suddenly becomes really very simple. <laughs> or they call it jailhouse conversions. Have you heard that? What they're talking about is a person comes to the crisis of their life. <laughs> and suddenly, do you remember the story of the prodigal? He made an awful mess of his life. And what happened? When he had reached the lowest point that a Jewish man could ever come to, because he was thinking about eating pig food, it said he what? Came to his senses. <laughs> he saw the truth. And he went back to his father. And that parable is talking about all of us. 
Now, here's the problem. You say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, Pastor Neil. You're saying that the reason people don't, some people don't listen is because they, they haven't got spiritual insight. They're, they're natural men. They haven't, they haven't been saved. They haven't, but then how do you get saved? Ah, that is the question, is it not? How do you take a person who is dead in sin and trespasses and how does he become a spiritual person? It's a miracle. The fact that I'm standing here before you, I'm a miracle. It's a living miracle. And the fact that you're listening to me is even a bigger miracle. How does it happen? Well, you have a crisis in your life. But it says, the Bible says, God is not willing that any should perish. He takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. God is absolutely sovereign. All salvation begins with God. It has to begin with God. But somewhere in the mystery, somewhere in how this is, we have a responsibility. We have a part in that because we must say yes We must say yes. God can't say yes for you. You must see the truth. Now, oftentimes, people have a crisis, and for whatever reason, they'll have, maybe you know it, they have one crisis after another crisis after another crisis, and they still don't listen. And other people, they have a crisis in their life, and it's like the prodigal son. They say, yes. And each one of us have that happen to us. And God's Spirit convicts us, opens our eyes, and we can say, yes, Lord, your servant hears. Or we can say, no. And that determines the quality of your life. Because that's what Jesus says. This man, he heard the word, verse 26, but he built his house on sand. He wasn't paying attention. Okay. Now, two types of people, two types of results. Story about a man who went to his doctor, and his doctor told him, I got good news, and I have bad news for you. And the patient said, well, give me the good news first. So he said, you've got 24 hours to live. The patient said, 24 hours to live? I can't believe that. If that's the good news, what's the bad news? The doctor said, I tried to eat you yesterday. (laughs) Now, as we look at this, we think the bad news is what? The wind, the rain, and everything. That's not the bad news. That's not the bad news. You know what that is? That's called life. (laughs) That's called life here on this planet. It just happens. It doesn't make any difference whether you're a believer or a non-believer. It makes no difference. The rain is going to come. The wind is going to come. The flood is going to come. It doesn't make any difference. You can read your Bible 24 hours a day. It's still, it's just life here on this miserable, sin-drenched planet. That's the way it is, guys. Now, someone said, commentator, and I don't know if Jesus had this in mind when he was speaking, he said the rain represents difficult times, tragedies, doctor visits that turn out really bad or whatever it is. That's the rain. The floods 
that's often refers to the world. So the world is banging on your door and really doing a job on you. And the wind is, is spiritual, you know, spirit. And so that's a satanic attack on you. And I don't know, if, I don't think Jesus was had that in his mind, but it kind of fits with all those things that happen. The calamities, you lose your job, you get a bad report from your doctor. Um, you have the world just beating on your door and all the influences of the world. And then you have satanic attacks. And that kind of preaches. It's a nice three-point sermon. Here's the good news. The good news is, in verse 25, for the man who built his house on the rock, here's the good news. And the rains fell, the floods came, the winds blew, slammed against the house. It didn't fall. It been founded on the rock. It had a good, solid foundation. Why? Why did it not fall? Because it represents a person who has a living relationship with God. Has a bigger picture of what this life is about. So when the storms of life and the difficulties that come, and they will come, it's not if, it's when, you're able to say, I can do this. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, I don't want to beat on poor Pastor Chuck use him as an illustration all the time, but I was just thinking about it. Remember that video? If you saw the memorial, there was a video of Chuck just shortly before he died, and he's sitting in the, on his patio, and Greg Laurie's interviewing. Pastor Chuck died of lung cancer. He never smoked a cigarette in his life. The unfairness, the irony of him getting lung cancer is so incredible. And yet here he sits with this beautiful smile. And Greg, Pastor Greg is talking to him. And he just has the peace of God resting on him. As the storms of life, it's just so unfair, I can't. He's just handling it. Why? Because he had Christ. His life was founded on the rock and lived on the rock. That's the good news. Storms of life are coming. But they don't have to overwhelm us. Here's the bad news, verse 27. The bad news is there's the others, this other guy. The rain fell. The floods came, the winds blew, slammed against the house, and it fell, and great was the fall. It looked good when times were sunny. Looked the same, I mean, right next to each other, same house, they looked great. When the times were sunny. But you know, times are not always sunny, are they? Now here in California, we haven't had an El Nino in years. We haven't had what they call a gully washer. You know what a gully washer is? All those empty things that we see around there, they're all filled with rocks and garbage right now, but one day it'll rain. It'll rain here in Southern California, and when it rains, it rains, amen? It rains. So 
It's sunny now, and it's been sunny for several years here in California. Who knows, maybe global warming, Al Gore was right. Maybe it'll never rain in Southern California. But I tell you, one day it is going to rain here in Southern California. Okay, if the rock, building your house on the strong foundation of the rock, is hearing and doing, what does the sand represent? Well, the sand represents... (laughs) Doing what's right in our own minds. Well, I, I don't need a crummy instructions. You know. I'm not going to do that. I can do, I can do life my way. I certainly hope Frank Sinatra didn't have that spiritual aspect when he sang that song. I did it my way. Um, I hope he had a little bit more spiritual reality than that song represented. He did it, wanted to do it his way. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding, my heavens. So building your, building your house, building your life on the sand is doing it your own way. Maybe also following current social values <laughs> or cultural norms. Everybody's going this way. <laughs> Uh, Did you notice in your bulletin, all the fish are going one way, that way, but there's one guy who's going that way? You know, that, that's why that's in there. <laughs> the trouble is, oftentimes, we look around, well, everybody's doing it. Duh, might as well do it. Might as well. I'll just do it. Not even... <laughs> Following cultural norms. Social values of the current people. Or building your life on psychological theories. Psychological theories that have no basis in the Bible. Or even philosophical beliefs. All of that stuff has no eternal value. And when the storms of life come, that will all be washed away along with your life and your house. Now, in my testimony, I came to my, uh, around my 30th birthday, and I had, you know, the crisis (laughs) of my life. And I realized that all that I had based my life on was not valid or true. All that, all that I had worked at for 30 years to obtain wasn't going anywhere. And I turned to Christ. So, two types of people, two types of results. Then two applications. Verses 28, 29. When Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one having authority and not as the scribes. They were amazed at what he said. Why? Because there's, there's two applications to these words. Two applications. Let's look at the first. The application for this life. The application for this life. Now, think about this sermon. 
Now, it's taken us months to get through it. You've been very patient with me. But if you look at these words, all three chapters, wonderful three-point sermon, you could probably preach this in about 15 to 20 minutes, depending on how quick you spoke it. So let's just put everything aside, the rest aside for a minute, all that the New Testament says, just for a minute. Because we want to think, okay, Jesus is speaking this sermon, and it's only taken him 20 minutes. And then at the end of the sermon, he says what? Now, if you hear my words and act upon them, you're like a man who builds his house on the rock. But if you don't, you're like a man who builds his house in the sand. We've already been through that, right? Okay, think about it. It's only taken 20 minutes. So he's speaking. He's making a promise to the people that he's speaking to that if they'll do just what he said, <laughs> their house will be like on the rock. Well, what did he say? Well, so glad you're wondering because I'm going to just review just a couple of things. Chapter 5, he talked about having that beatitude experience. Remember? Recognizing that you're poor in spirit, that you're empty, you have no spiritual resources, and you call on the name of the Lord. You humble yourself and receive his mercy. And you become a merciful person yourself and a peacemaker, and use hunger and thirst for righteousness. Remember we talked about that? That's the beginning of the sermon. That's how, you, how one starts spiritual life. And he talked about that, and he says... When you're that way, when you're that kind of person, you're salt and you're light. And he also brought up the other side that you might have some persecution. In the middle of chapter 5, he said, now you need to understand this, folks, unless your righteousness exceeds the religious people of your day, the scribes and the Pharisees, there's no way you can enter the kingdom of heaven. And people went, oh, they're pretty... Righteous people. But then Jesus, in the balance of chapter 5, reviews some of the life, some of the teachings of those people. And he showed that their, their righteousness was exterior only. And he talked about how, you, how they dealt with anger. It has been said. And then he says, but I say to you. And he pointed out the inconsistencies. Remember we went through that? He talked about how we deal with anger how we deal with lust, how we deal with the issue of divorce, lying, vengeance, loving your enemy. He told us. Then in chapter 6, he went on to talk about spiritual life, that we're not to do our spiritual exercises like the scribes and the Pharisees do, who only wanted to be seen by men. So in our giving and in our prayer and our fasting and all of our religious activities, we do it from the heart to please God and not to be seen by men. You remember that? Then he talked about the latter part of how we're to view life, not storing up treasures for ourselves where thieves can break in or steal. And we talked about the importance that we can't take it with us, but we can send it on ahead. I talked about that principle. Then we also talked about how the cure for anxiety, he says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all that we need will be added to you. Remember we talked about that? How we live life, how we go through life taking care of our family and meeting our needs. 
And then chapter 7, he talks about judgment. Verses 1 through 5, he talked about how we are not to judge people because our sinful nature will even cause us to fail like having a log in our own eye. So we're not to judge. In the middle of chapter 7, he talked about uh, how we can create an atmosphere that will help those we love come to a, a saving knowledge of Christ. Then he, last week we talked about false prophets, how we need to beware of people who, who teach that which they say they're prophets, but they're not. Okay, brief review. Now, here's the promise. If you will hear his words, just in verses chapter 5, 6, and 7, all those things that I've talked about, if you will hear his words and apply it, your life will be like one who's built his house on the rock. That's a promise that God made to you through his son Jesus Christ, that that will be your life. And what did Jesus say? I came that they have life and life more abundantly, but the devil, the enemy, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Now, if you see these things as just looking at chapters 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew, if you see these, all right, whatever. Yeah, I guess I'll do it. You're missing it! (laughs) Why? These things are not to be done grudgingly, but from the heart, because he's telling you, I don't want your life to be a disaster. I don't want your your life to be like a house that just gets completely shredded when the storms of life come. That's not my plan for you. But listen carefully. God, as much as he loves you, will not accommodate his standards, and his expectations for yours to meet your desires. He won't do that. You're banging your head against the wrong wall, my friend. He's not going to accommodate you. You must accommodate him to his word. I want to challenge you this morning to go beyond where you're at. Now, maybe you're a Christian. And Christ has spoken to you. And you've responded. And you've started to build your house on the rock. But maybe you've come to a place where you've just saying, mm, no. No, I, I can't go on that missions trip. No, I can't give to the Lord's work. No, I won't stop using my computer to watch pornography. Uh, no, I won't forgive that person. They really hurt me, Lord, and I will not forgive them. I want to challenge you. Take a step of faith and not only hear God's word, but act upon it. You will be surprised at what God will do. Now, you've heard the word, you know the word, and God has spoken to you. And I I feel that there's many of us here this morning that God is speaking to us and is telling us through his word, by his spirit, there's something I want you to do. Do it. (laughs) Maybe 
Maybe you've been a believer, but you've never been baptized. And you just said, no, I don't want to do it. I'm a believer, but I don't want to do it. We're going to have a baptism in probably in, probably after the holidays. I encourage you, be baptized. We'll warm up Pastor Rob's pool and we'll have a wonderful time. Get baptized. Maybe there's something else in your life. I want to challenge you. God is speaking to you. Not, you don't have to do it for me. I'm telling you, you're building your house on the rock when you do that. It's just that simple. Okay, application for this life. Application for the next life. Here's the question. <laughs> Is there life after death? Now, Jesus said, when he raised Lazarus, what did he say? If you believe in me, I am the resurrection life. He who believes in me, though he should die, yet he will live. So Jesus makes the promise, what? That there's eternal life. Now, you remember when he appeared to Thomas in the Gospel of John? Thomas was, no, I don't believe, unless I see him. And then Jesus appears, and Thomas says, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, what? Blessed are you, Thomas, for you, be- you seeing, you believe, but even blessed more is what? Those who have not seen the resurrected Christ and still believe. That's who? That's you? <laughs> That's me. He's talking about you guys. Blessed are you not seeing the resurrected Christ. Because I don't know anybody who's come back from the dead. Now we have some stories. There's some books written about people after death experiences. Some of them, are, I have to say, are a little bit hokey. You don't hope you're not offended. Some of them are kind of interesting. You know what I mean? Kind of interesting. But, you know, I'm not going to base <laughs> my trust in the afterlife on some story. Uh, I kind of like Jesus' words. I kind of like Jesus' words. Why? What I have found is if you take the principles that are found in this book, the teachings of Jesus, you know what? They're true, aren't they? When you do what Jesus says, it works. Amen? Okay, now just take this just one more step further. If it's true in this life, then there's a possibility, there's a strong possibility that what he says about afterlife is also what? True. I love C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis was kind of a philosopher thinker. He said, okay, let's suppose. Suppose the non-believer is right. Suppose the non-believers are right. When you die, the last time your heart beats, that's it. You cease to exist. Nothing happens. They just put you in a box and you're done. That's it. There is no afterlife. So the unbeliever, he lived it up. He, you know, eat, drink, marry. He got all the gusto he could and, you know, whatever. So he dies and what happens? Nothing. Nothing. He's gone. The believer... Um, however, he lived a life that was trying to be honest, trying to be loving, trying to love his neighbor, trying the best he could within the strength that he had mm, to be a blessing. Amen? And he dies. Nothing happens. If the non-believer is right. He says, however, wait, wait, wait. What if the non-believer is wrong? And the unbeliever's right. 
the Christian, the believer, he lived a good life. <laughs> and the minute he closes his eyes and heart starts beating, he's in the presence of God. The non-believer, what happens to him? Um, he faces God and perdition as a result of his life. And C.S. Lewis said, you know, being a betting man, <laughs> I'm going to bet that the believer is right. I'm going to bet the believer is right. And just on that basis, do you see where he's going? Now, I have the added comfort because I believe Jesus when he said he is the resurrection and life. And though when I die, yet I will live. That's the promise of Jesus. And I have found his words to be true on every other subject. And I'm putting my faith in him. And my house, not only here on this earth, but in heaven, is built on the rock. Built on the rock. So Jesus closes his sermon. Jesus closes his sermon. And they walked away amazed at his teaching. You know what I hope? I hope we walk away believing. Just believing what he said. But not just believing it. But acting upon it. Pray with me, please. So we finished the Sermon on the Mount this morning. At least the preaching of it. And we wonder what kind of house am I building? I pray for each person here that our house is built on the rock. Not for me or anybody else, but for them. Lord, we know of your love for us. We know you're not willing that any should perish. We know that you take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Your will is that all might come to a saving knowledge of your Son. That's your heart. But it's also conditional upon our heart. May our hearts be open to your word this morning. We thank you for the Sermon on the Mount. Powerful words ministering to us. May we be careful to hear and to act in that which you've said to us in these chapters. In Jesus' name, amen.